and when I moved to Seattle and, and this being a, a tech hub, I went to work for the trade association and quickly uh, assessed that there were needs that were pervasive, not just in this marketplace, that large companies that we were working with at a trade association um, were complaining of the same issues. podcast season three. I'm your host Adrian and today we're extremely honored to welcome Jennifer Carlson um, who is from Apprenti and we'll talk a little bit more about um, her role um, in recruitment and a career. So how are you doing Jennifer? Hope you're well. Lovely, thank you so much. So um, before we talk a little bit about what you're doing now, can you tell us um, about your career? So how did you get into recruitment in the first place? Oh, I, I don't even consider what I do to be recruitment, but uh, I got into this or space. Or HR, maybe. <laughs> or that. Yeah. <laughs> but on the career front, uh, I, I came from uh, a wide range of backgrounds, uh, but the, the one most relevant is insurance and running large P&Ls and working uh, in, in AIG, progressive large companies, and uh, was a, a co-executive sponsor in a, a technology platform migration. Uh, as a business lead. And it was um, evident that we are lacking in diversity in that category at the time, and this is many years ago, um, and that we simply could not find enough talent to do the work. And in my experience moving forward and in all of the companies that I had been with, I had done a lot of um, uh, role development uh, and creation of the positions that I was in. Uh, and when I moved to Seattle and, and this being a, a tech hub, I went to work for the trade association and quickly uh, assessed that there were needs that were pervasive, not just in this marketplace, that large companies that we were working with at a trade association um, were complaining of the same issues, not finding enough people and certainly not uh, able to develop or retain diverse candidates in the tech sector. Uh, and none of the programs that I had seen working across the country were scalable. Um, so that kind of prompted the creation of something new. Uh, and I like to be disruptive. So that that didn't really put me in a position of HR. It put me in a position of creating a business solution that happens to have some facets of recruitment and HR attached to it. So was, was it your goal to become a businesswoman um, when you first started your career, or is there something that just sort of came upon you? Um, no, I've I've always yes, I've always wanted to be a, a business lead, if not a business owner. Uh, I enjoy the creation of something new and that kind of uh, sense of ownership and entrepreneurship and being able to do yeah. that. Um, more than that, I think it's also. Um, whether it's disruptive, whether it's new, it's an opportunity to uh, to also give back and feel good about what I do every day and feel yeah. that there's a, a personal engagement and reward level for that. Mm. Because it's interesting that you mentioned about, um, you know, even decades ago, there was the shortage of labor. And it's a bit similar to now where, you know, even though, um, you know, the economy might not be in the best place, but 
a lot of companies are still reporting issues of hiring the right talent. So um, do you see any parallels between um, you know, what happened a few decades ago in terms of talent mismatch and what what's going on nowadays? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's a mismatch. I think it's it's a pervasiveness issue. I think what mm. was being consumed 20, 25 years ago were large companies with large tech needs, um, trying to get business to be more efficient and, um, you know, cut costs. And yeah. that put a strain on a system that wasn't as pervasive in its day. So there weren't as many to, to pull into those roles. Fast forward 25 years and every company is a tech company. Um, mm. Every company is competing for the same tech talent. And if you're Starbucks and you've got hundreds and hundreds of people in your tech department, um, you're competing with Amazon and Microsoft for that same talent and REI and Nordstrom and Costco. And that's just in this market, let alone nationally. And so um, those roles are ubiquitous. Um, they mm -hmm. are central to every business being able to do their jobs. And there's not a uh, expansion uh, or has not been a paced expansion of the creation of that talent in higher ed to keep pace with demand. So, um, you know, fast forward a little bit. So how, can you tell us how you started this company? Like what, what were the challenges um, of switching from being an employer to an, uh, sorry, from an employee to an employer? Yeah, that's uh, an interesting point of view. I mean, when you have also the fact that we operate as a nonprofit as opposed to a for-profit. So you have a, a second set of issues. So yeah. you're moving from, uh, an employer where you have a mature business uh, and and known outcomes and your your need for hiring and staffing is through a, a fairly mechanical initiative. It's budgeting, it's it's needs based. Um, now you're creating something from whole cloth and starting from mm -hmm. scratch. And uh, there's a need, but now there's also the lack of maturity and a funding structure. So it's a combination of resource hunting building uh, a pipeline of demand um, so that you can establish your, your pilot and get mm -hmm. through a proof of concept um, and then get that viable product to market and make sure that it's sustainable and then an expansion. But in a nonprofit setting, that means a combination of limited revenue mixed with philanthropy. So you're taking results to market and trying to demonstrate not only capacity need, but um, organizational strength in that delivery so that you rise to the top for getting that funding. So now that you've run this business for quite a few years, this NGO, should I say, um, can you tell us, yeah. you know, maybe briefly introduce your company to our viewers and what do you get the most out of, you know, running a nonprofit? Um, so nonprofit, very different than my for-profit years. Um, yeah. This is, uh, Apprenti is a, a nonprofit that is focused on transforming the digital landscape. And this is not about digital literacy. It's about attracting people. The thesis being we can take people from non-traditional backgrounds, meaning college or no college, um, experience or no experience, and reskill, upskill those people into our most in-demand jobs, the middle skill jobs that our sector collectively spends more time and resource trying to create or attract talent when in reality, what we're doing is really poaching, um, which isn't solving the root issue. And so this is about creating 
uh, a, a stopgap or closing an actual issue by creating that net new talent. And so we take people from non-traditional backgrounds, underrepresented minorities, women, veterans, persons with disabilities, reskill them, move them into these middle skill roles and companies partner with us for the purpose of taking them on and getting them running in the role. So there's a mentorship component, an accelerated classroom component. Um, it's breaking two systems. Uh, since I like to be disruptive, it's yeah. it's taking, it, it's outside of the higher ed system. And it is, um, though it can be in partnership with it, it's outside of, of what we're used to hiring from. And it's flipping the model into a hands-on learning uh, through a national registered apprenticeship system that has worked really well in other industries globally, but hasn't been employed domestically in the U.S. yet until now. So I guess there must be quite a lot of fulfillment in, you know, meeting the demand and helping underrepresented populations in, and reskilling them to help them find, you know, a good job. What's the you know, biggest um, challenge that you, you see in reskilling these people um, at the moment? Uh, so there, there's one on either side of this coin. I think on the human capital side, it's breaking down barriers and stigma of what an apprenticeship is. Um, mm -hmm. We've spent the last 45, 50 years as a country telling everybody to go to college. Um, yeah. And the, the general consensus in this country is that these are blue collar jobs when we say apprenticeship. And in reality, they're not all blue collar jobs. And so trying to change the public idea of what an apprenticeship is and that it can be a viable career option without having to go to college um, is one half of the equation. And with that comes the, can I do it? Is this for me? Am I capable? Um, and getting people over that mental hurdle of thinking that working in technology means writing algorithms in your head all day, which is not the case. Um, and then the other side of that coin is, is similarly getting companies to think differently about how they're defining talent, um, valuing skill sets over a pedigree and kind of breaking down their own biases around that college degree requirement, which we've artificially applied to every job in tech but yet many of the jobs in tech really don't truly have to have the college degree. So getting companies, in, and I spend probably 90% of my time educating both sides of those equations about the, the misinterpretation or understandings that they have about how this works and how their, their beliefs are not accurate and getting them to shift. So, um, you know, when we try and reskill talent, um, I guess the good thing, obviously, as you just covered, is that they learn a new skill set and they find an employer, mm -hmm. hopefully. But I guess, you know, the difficult thing is that, you know, some employers might still not be in that mindset where they are, where they are willing to accept somebody who doesn't have a degree. So how do you spend time maybe in trying to convince these employers that these people without a degree are still as employable as those with a degree. So um, you're spot on in that, uh, first of all, apprenticeship is a job. So I don't train anybody that I don't already have a job placement for. Those two things go I hand see. in hand. This is not a boot camp environment where they come and get the class and then we turn them loose with a resume. So if, this is entirely captive. Um, so I've already worked with the employer and secured headcount for me to put those apprentices into. Um, 
The employer conversation is an interesting one. And, and coming from Fortune 500, I ha <clears throat> have a better shot at making the business case for them. I'm, I can usually have that conversation with employers on two fronts. <clears throat> First is, what's your time to market? How long are these roles sitting vacant um, in your payroll uh, before you're able to close and fill those? Um, and what does that cost look like for you to attract that talent? And if it's longer than three months and more than $100,000, then you should be looking at apprenticeship because I can cut your cost by 25% and I can bring you early stage talent that's ready to hit the ground running. Um, the other thing I would ask them to do is, is, and I've done this with a couple of large companies, let's do a five-year regression analysis, even during COVID. Tell me what you were paying then for these roles versus what you're paying now for new acquisitions. So your acquisition cost is going up 10 to 15% a year um, because you're having to pay people more when you're poaching them, right? It's a, it's a clear business case. Um, then we can start getting into, can I get you to agree that not all jobs require a college degree? And those are usually the CTO or the CIO sitting down and going, well, of course. Um, and, and they move past it very quickly. It's really more, uh, I don't want to call out HR, but it's more of a risk management function that says the college degree has to be there um, from an equity position in their eyes. And, and the, the CTO and the CIO is usually more aligned with, if you can find me a body that can do the work, let's do this. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so it's really getting a, a coalition of the willing and a, and a braiding of those ment those mentalities to to kind of get them over those issues and get them moving in the right direction. So it's, moving on it's an and equitable yeah. talent. Go ahead. So let's uh, talk a little bit about maybe the meaning of work. So um, obviously the name of this podcast is the Meaningful Jobs Podcast, and a lot of my viewers would like to know, you know, what's the meaning behind work aside from a paycheck? So when you train mm -hmm. these talents that you've got to then put them um, in touch with employers, how do you motivate them? And for yourself, like, how do you see your meaning in the work you do aside from a paycheck? Absolutely. Uh, I think when it comes to the apprentices, uh, most of who is coming to us are underemployed, unemployed, or and even some who have college degrees, but didn't yet have have a career trajectory or an idea about they what, what they wanted to do. And they were liberal arts degrees and things that don't lend themselves on paper directly into a STEM job. Um, and, and median age in my program is 32. So I'm getting people who are further along in life, have other work experience, and are now serious about wanting to have a, a, a career and not a job, um, want more stability in their life, want more opportunity for personal growth and recognize that there are companies that are willing to make those investments. Um, so when I'm getting them, we're kind of at a stage where they're already looking for a change. So now the conversation is around, how do I get you comfortable with the idea that tech, uh, that you can do it, number one, just because you don't have a background and it doesn't mean you can't. Uh, and two, how do I get you comfortable with the idea that a company will make that investment in you? Because I think we're so driven by the idea that I'm going to have to go back to college, take out a lot of debt, start with a new degree. Um, and that's the only way I'm ever going to get into this. And then you know, we can walk them through how that isn't the case because there is no cost to the apprentice. This is 100% paid for for them. Um, so this wow. is an, a huge opportunity and gets them into... A, um, a a living wage scenario. I mean, my my yeah. folks are coming through 
under under 40,000 for those who were employed, um, not including the 25% who are unemployed. Then they come in and they're making in the mid 60s with benefits as an apprentice and they're being retained in the mid 80s after that. Like that's a that's a family living wage that changes a life perspective. And that that yeah. leads to why I do this, right? I can mm. look myself in the mirror every day, and feel good about having made changes to people's lives. I see. So yeah, I guess, you know, what you're doing is, you know, changing lives every day. And, you know, from an employer perspective, you know, this gives them extra motivation as well, you know, to maybe hire mm -hmm. people you've trained because, you know, these people are not somebody who is spoiled. They know the hardships um, of finding, you know, a good wage and you've given them this opportunity. So from your employer's uh, perspective, um, how, uh, how, um, you know, how easy is it is it for you to convince them that, oh, these are the talent that I've got and are well suited for your cause? Uh, how easy is it to convince them? Yeah. Um, usually there's a good pilot that we'll do with them. If I can get them to take a pilot with me, then it's it answers itself. Mm -hmm. um, and the companies will scale with us once they get that pilot under their belt. And I've got 270 companies now that have said, all right, let's give this a try. No, I'm going to keep, yeah. I'm going to keep doing this. Um, and it isn't hard to convince a company to look at the numbers and the numbers mm -hmm. are, we only graduate 80,000 computer science degrees a year when we create a half a million jobs a year. Wow. <laughs> wow. So the numbers, so, I guess, are really attractive immediately for an employer. You, the industry companies collectively have no choice but to accept that they're going to have to create another pipeline of talent. Now, apprenticeship yeah. is one of many solutions, but the solution for the last 20 years has just been to go offshore. Um, but that market has gotten more competitive. There are certain challenges with that. We're now facing security threats, and we're talking about what countries will outsource that to. And, and there's now discussion, particularly under the the current funding structures from the government about how to re-onshore jobs, you know, even from a semiconductor standpoint, like in creation and manufacturing. So if we're going to start re-onshoring jobs, you're, the companies have no choice but to start investing in how do we reskill people to the level we need them to be and where we need them to be. Mm -hmm. So just lastly, you know, for people who might be struggling in their careers at the moment, what advice would you give them and how should they decide if they should maybe find a new job? or even switch to a new, new field or just staying in where they are at the moment? Well, I mean, it, it's always a good time to be looking. Best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Next best time is today. <laughs> if you're already questioning what you're doing and you're, you're looking for a better alternative, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak very broadly now, not just for tech. Um, the fastest growth industries are technology, healthcare, um, manufacturing, uh, advanced manufacturing specifically. So EV batteries and, um, and semiconductors and these things, and these are all incredibly well-paid jobs. And, and there are incredible incentives coming from the government for companies to get subsidy to invest in the training for those jobs. And mm -hmm. that is not going away anytime soon. And there are huge potentials for people to change industry. And I would recommend they go to apprenticeship.gov 
and look at every opportunity in the country because there are local, there are national, there are industry centric, and there are apprenticeships are paid jobs. They have free training or low cost training associated with them. They don't take years to get, um, but do get them into these well-paid jobs and give them yeah. an opportunity to get something maybe they didn't have on their own. And this, I, I, I place everybody from high school on up. So there is no degree requirement. I ask for none of that information. Most of the other programs don't either. Mm -hmm. So this is not a, you must have a degree or you must have experience in a sector. Irrelevant. We can reskill you. I mean, it sounds like an amazing program. And perhaps you should think about maybe scaling this to other countries. Not sure if you've thought about this before. Or is it just in the U.S. at the moment? Well, so apprenticeship is well uh, adopted and used nationally or globally. Uh, Europe has been doing it for 75 years, 80 years post-war. Um, and and uh, Asia, Asian Pacific Rims have yeah. been doing this almost for as long. So this is not a new concept. And in fact, it's, it's very well rece received and used globally for every job and sector, whether you're in healthcare and veteran sciences or, or culinary, it doesn't matter. Everything's apprenticeable in Europe and in Asia. Um, we're a little late to this party in the US. Technology mm -hmm. is, is not as prevalent globally, um, specifically on apprenticeship. And while there's certainly opportunity, Let's face it. Let's let's fix our problem at home first <laughs> well, before I worry about everybody else's. It's been great you know, talking to you, uh, Jennifer. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Really learned a lot about apprenticeships today, and you know, continue doing what you do. And um, you know, wish you all the best.